All right, welcome back to Misery Point Radio. Thanks for joining me again. I, of course, am your host. My name is Mike. And today, we have the first ever returning guest. In fact, the first guest I ever had on Misery Point Radio. Good friend of mine, John Horsley. Co-host of Spoiler Country, host of Haphazard Adventures. So he does podcasting, but he's also a comic book writer, a comic book artist, and dare I say, a creative genius. So back when he was first on the show... We talked about all of the projects he's got in the works. And there was one project in particular that I have been very excited about. It's called the Ayn's Anthology. And it's getting ready to go live on Kickstarter tomorrow, February 1st. And I am really excited for this book to come out. And so I invited Johnny back on the show to talk about the status of the book, where it's at, what the goals are for his Kickstarter, and to dig a little deeper into the story to give you an insight as to really what the Ayn's Anthology is truly going to be about. And make no joke about it, this guy has got some epic artists and writers working with him on this project. And it's going to be nothing but quality and nothing but piles of awesomeness. So... If you like what you hear today, please back him up on all of his stuff. I promise you, you won't be disappointed. So please welcome back the first ever guest on Misery Point Radio, John Horsley. Johnny, welcome back, brother. Thanks for having me back, man. It's, uh, I've been waiting for the invite to come back because you know, I had so much fun the first time. Yeah, no, that was a blast and the response was super <laughs> awesome. And for you, things just seem to be taken off at a super rapid pace. So today we're going to talk about your new baby that we kind of touched on last time you were on, but the Ein's Anthology, getting ready to go live on Kickstarter. Yeah, man. Like for the day we're recording this is Thursday and it goes live tomorrow morning. I know, nuts. <laughs> So if you're hearing this after it goes live, it went live Friday, February 1st at 8 a.m. Pacific. And this has been a grind to get to where I'm at now. I mean, when we talked, God, months ago about this, it was like, oh, yeah, we're we're shooting for this. And then it just it, all of a sudden it's like, wait, it's tomorrow. Oh, my God. <laughs> so what's the process been like that? I mean, at one point it was like, yeah, I've got this kind of on the back burner. It's been on my mind. And then all of a sudden you're doing interviews practically every day. You're all over social media with this (laughs) you've got people conscripted to work with you kenrick regan did a story for you uh your illustrious host from spoiler country and a good friend of mine and you've got my friend now bitch (laughs) yeah that's right i forgot uh he's no longer allowed (laughs) to associate with me and i claimed him for me nice and you you have like uh scott godleski is doing some work for you as well and yeah man so let's just just talk about what's going on it's 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 crazy, man. I'll I'll have an exclusive drop for you here in a minute that I haven't told anybody else in any other show that I'll I'll, I'll drop on your show first because because you know we're friends like that. But 
it's been crazy because, you know, I've been working on this on and off for over two years and right. it was really about eight months ago, but right around the time, <clears throat> I think it was a little, I don't know. When did you, when was the first episode released for your show for misery point for misery that point? Was, it was back in, geez, I want to say October maybe. Okay. So I'd already started, the, I, I'd already, I'd already started more work on this. So it was about August of last year that I was like, you know what? I, I told everybody this is going to come out. I need to get my ass in gear and do this. So I started working on it more and more hardcore. I mean, I've been working on it off and on for the whole time, but in August I was like, no, I need to, I need to dive into this. And this, this has to happen. I've got to get this out. I set a date for myself of February 1st, 2019 to launch it. I was like, man, if I'm going to make that launch date, I've got to get my ass in gear. Now I'd already been working on it off and on throughout the summer, but it was like late August where I was like, you know, I need someone to help me out with this. I need, I need a co-editor basically what, by that, what I mean, not somebody to like go through and edit the grammar of the book, but a co-editor in so much somebody to help do all like the, the like admin stuff, the behind the scenes stuff, like an assistant editor or someone or a co-editor that can come in and like, okay, I need, we need to do this for the website. I need, I need to talk to these six people about that, but their projects in the book. And I need this information from people, but I just don't have time to do it because I work a full-time job and I have five kids and I have, you know, I'm, I'm writing, I'm drawing, I'm inking, I'm coloring all on this book and other stuff. And I've got, you know, I just need some help. So I brought on my friend Casey Allen, uh, who runs the comic jam. And uh, I was like, Hey, are you interested in this? He was like, fuck yeah, I'm interested, man. I'm, I, I'd love to. So he came on and it's, it's kind of become like, uh, I mean, he's, he's taking this on like it's his own baby, you know? I mean, he definitely was, he definitely like, you know, doesn't make changes without talking to me because this is, it's my creative baby, but it's definitely our book baby. If that makes any sense at all, you know? Yeah, for sure. Cause he's like, he's pushing it like it's his own. And he's very much, he has very much had a very large voice in this book. And I will never deny that he has had, he wrote a story for the book. He's, he's helped with the direction of the stories, the direction of the book a ton. And it's been amazing with him on board. I was able to, I was able to focus on the things I needed to focus on to get my portion of this book and my, and stuff I needed to do down, like getting all of my pages done, getting, um, you know, getting the artists and writers all lined up for the first book and the next book and getting them paid. Because I've already paid everybody that's in the first book. They've all gotten their, their paychecks already. Because I was like, well, instead of making everybody wait until after the Kickstarter to get paid, I'm going to show them that I'm serious. And that I am going to take the risk and you know put risk behind myself. Say, look, I'm taking a risk on this book by paying you up front. So you know I'm serious. You know. And um, that was a huge investment, you know, because I have, there's 22 people who worked on this book. And so there's 22 paychecks I had, I had to send out for people with their page rates. And some of them weren't cheap and that's fine because I got amazing <laughs> work out of them. You right. know, like Scott Godleski, every, he's a, he's a professional artist. And then we, you know, we paid him professional artist rates because he's a pro in the industry, you know? And uh, it's just been, it's been an amazing world, uh, you know, whirlwind. And since August in September timeframe, we've just gone from basically, eh, we're going to do it sometime to we have a date we're busting our ass for the next five months to get this in place next six months to get this done. And, um, I, I was up, you know, from like August to like November, we were working on it. We'd work on it like, you know, two, three times a week and stuff like that. But they come like November, December case. And I were like every night we'd have calls or we'd have, we'd be chatting back and forth, a messenger emails back and forth. We created a, I created a one note page for note taking. And it's got like, it has like 60 pages on it. Like so many notes, so much information, like our whole, it's like our Bible as everything in it. The Casey and I share back and forth to make notes on. It's like, we use it for like, okay, have we done this for this story? Like, you know, what's done, what, what needs to be done to make this, this story completed for the book. And it's been, you know, invaluable to, to have that. And, um, 
with Casey's help, they able to push this through to where it's at today. And then, like this last month, as you mentioned, I've been on the PR, the PR buzz. You know, like doing the doing the interview circuit, which has been amazing. But that also involved me reaching out to 150 different podcast websites and review review sites, interview sites um, to schedule interviews to do, which has meant that I've been doing two or three a day for the last like week and a half, two weeks. <laughs> so the PR trail for you has been absolutely nuts and you're doing 50 million interviews a day as well as trying to schedule and coordinate with artists and writers and <laughs> pay everybody out of pocket in advance. So you're clearly 100% behind the fact that this is going to be your big all-consuming project for the next however long. When you and I first talked we talked about the name, the Ein's anthology, which alludes to the fact that this overall encompassing story takes place over multiple generations with multiple families that all have a very specific tie-in. And it's kind of a horror-based. So tell everybody kind of the concept behind the Ein's anthology and uh, where where you have started the entry point for that story. So the Ions Anthology comes from the idea I had of, I wanted to, I, I really wanted to tell a multi-generational horror themed story. And the basis of it is, is there's a family with, it's called the Ions. It's, it's their last name. It's their surname. And throughout time, they have had an affection to, or an affinity to, or a connection with the monsters, the supernatural, the occult, and the things that go bump in the night. And those things that go bump in the night, those monsters are also attracted to the Ions themselves. Uh, neither side understands why so much. They just know that since before recorded history, it has been a thing. So what this book does is it tells you short stories somewhere throughout the family tree timeline of the Ions family and their interaction with these various monsters of the world. Now, the first book is an entry to the world, and it's it's set up with specific stories that let you know this is what this world is about. It, it, they're specifically chosen to not necessarily be connected stories themselves, but to be connected stories in the overarching story, which is going to happen over the course of four books. Cause we plan out four books for this first series. And um, the book itself will tell one giant story doing with characters from each individual story. But those individual stories themselves are all, you know, they're all their own contained story. And, um, the goal was, was to tell either was to basically to tell snippets of a life. Like I wanted to give you a six page preview or a six page insight into, you know, Nathaniel Ion's character, kind of like you, you meet him, but he's already an established person at this point in his life, right? He's, he's an older person. You, you come into a, a part of his life where this something is happening. And through this conversation, you learn about him or through the story, you, you learn about him, you learn about the world. And then we move on to the next character in the story to which you then learn about them. But it's not like a an origin and a, a big arching first battle type of thing. It's like each story, you know, it kind of drops you in the middle of it and it lets you know, okay, this is the kind of stuff that's going to happen in this world and, and in this book if you continue to read them. And overall, when all four books are done, it'll all tie together and it'll all, it'll all make more sense. But the first book is really a setup book to say, hey, bad things happened, good things happened, all this stuff in this book, this is what this world is about. This is to let you know you know, what, what we're going to do and set you up for the next book. Can you give us any insight into any details on that first book? Yeah. So we set up a character, we set up a bad guy, um, in this book called Camelot. And we set up another bad guy in this book called, called Agnes. Those two are going to be very important come book two and all the way through to book four. We also set up a character named Gibson Ines, who is a member of the Ines family. 
but he's not what you'd call a hero. And um, we have developed a really interesting story arc for him over the course of the four books, where when you first meet him, you think one thing. And then by the time you get to the fourth book, you're going to think something completely different of this character. And there's other characters in this book. Because the, the, the point of the book is, it's like, you know, it, it's kind of backwards because, you know, we, we don't really want to, we're not like, our, our goal isn't to say like, hey, you know, bad guys are good. They're the heroes of the story. However, in the world of you know demons and supernatural, typically monsters and demons have a very long lifespan, right? Like in most lore, you know, demons don't really die unless you vanquish them. Right. However, humans do die. So you'll see characters like Camelot, who is a demon, who will show up in multiple storylines and in multiple timelines with different characters. So the what the stories are about, or what the what the the goal is, is to show that it's the strength of the family through multiple generations that will take on and defeat these demons and deal with these demons. And it kind of like the timeline aspect is there to show you that this has been going on for a long, a long time. So that satisfaction at the end, or the satisfaction that is going to happen, you know, in book four, whether it be one side or the other is going to be, you'll, you'll, by the time you get there, you'll have enough information about both sides of the characters to, to be invested into it because you'll think, Oh, this happened to this guy back, you know, a hundred years ago, and it's happening again to this guy now. And it's, uh, something similar happened to this guy. You know, it's it's all building blocks to get to a bigger story at the end. So, is each individual book, we'll call it, as part one of four of the anthology, is each book centered around specifically one character or one set of characters, or are we going to see flash forwards and flashbacks within each book of different characters that appear in other books as well? I. Definitely the latter. It's uh, each book is set up to. Not, we didn't want to focus on characters specifically per book. We wanted to focus on stories per book. So the first book, you know, you're going to meet characters that'll we, you know, they'll reappear in books two, three, and four. But each book itself is set up to be a kind of, kind of like a theme. Like the theme of book one is anything can happen, and that kind of sets you up to where the world, the, you know, world building. So world building. I always have a problem saying that phrase. World building. <laughs> <sighs> It's a world building book, right? And then book two and book three are going to be more of a meat type of book, right? It's going to be more of more intricate stories, more more backstory, more getting you built up. And then book four is going to be like a conclusion type book. But you know, they're, they're they're laid out in a, such a specific way that you could read book one, you could read book four, you could read book three, you could even any order and get a satisfying read out of the book, or you could read any story and get a satisfying read out of that story. However, if you read all four books, you're going to get a satisfying read out of a bigger story. And it's it's right. been a very difficult process to put this all together and the execution of it. I hope we nail it. You know, I can't say we have because we haven't finished book four yet, but what we have lined up right now, the way, the way book one reads, the way book two reads, we're on We're I think Casey and I are doing a great job of getting these in place. And, you know, if we're able to, to knock this out, which I'm sure we can, because I've got a great team of people working with me on this throughout all the creators on these books. It's going to be an interesting thing because you'll be able to literally pick up any one of the books and read it and enjoy it because you're not going to, the whole idea is, is yes, like Camelot is introduced in the very first story of the very first book, right? But he's, he's going to be in book three as well. But if you just read book three, it's, you're not going to have, you're not going to have to read book one to understand who Camelot is. However, if you have read book one, you'll understand a whole lot more of who he is. That's, that's the goal of the, of the stories in the books. So theoretically speaking, could you jump into any book in any order and still get the overall arching idea behind the greater universe? Um, you'd get the idea behind it, but the actual like overarching story would probably be hard to grasp. If like if you just started at book three, 
However, that's not okay. that, that wouldn't that wouldn't stop the enjoyment of just book three. It's it's if you want to like you know know what. Long story short, not really. However, it's not going <laughs> to mess up reading a book three first. Like if you read book three, book one, book two, then book four, you'd be able to figure out the overarching story. It'd be better if you read one, two, three, four in a row, obviously, because then it's, it's building that way. But as long as like if you're going to read all the books, as long as you read book four last, then you're going to get you're going to get the the overarching story and a conclusion. I mean, if you want to read things backwards, you could. It's fine. The way they're structured is they're structured to be individual books with a tie a tie in story around all of them. Kind of like an episode of the X-Files. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. So you've got book one is completely finished, correct? It is like 98% finished. We've got uh, two stories that have a couple pages left to be finished, and the artists are working on them right now. And this is book one specifically what's hitting the Kickstarter? Yes. Or is this to fund the entire This project? is to fund book one. Uh, and book one's going to okay. be about, it's it's set for 64 pages, but it looks like we're going to be at about 74 six pages i think or 70 some pages um we have extra material that i, I don't want to cut out of the book so i might i'm sure. probably going to expand it a little bit depending when the final pages come back and we because we have all the art pages done and then I've, I've hired dc hopkins to come in and do the design work for the book so the book's going to get professionally designed out with the pages and layouts and stuff like that so that's going to happen um probably mid-campaign so i'll know the actual page number. i mean the, the price of the book's not going to change the price of the book is 20 dollars to buy the actual physical book so whether it's 64 okay. pages or 78 pages or 85 pages the price is going to be the same we're just working it out to where, where we, we don't want to cut anything out of the book that's going to be important so we want to make sure it's the best book it, it can possibly be so each book is larger than say your standard comic right this is are these set up more like a graphic novel style? yeah they're like a small graphic novel because like a, a comic book your standard okay. comic book is 22 pages right Right. So we're going for 64 to 78, somewhere in that range. And, and it's going to, they'll be square bound, not saddle stapled or saddle stitched. So it'll be square bound prestige format, graphic novels, you know, type. And they'll, you know, they'll, they'll collect together to be, you know, f- f- like 280 pages, something like that of, of material. Once all four books are done. Oh, that's awesome. And are these going to be, what's the presentation style? Is going to be like a uh, super hard bound style or traditional, uh, paperback so we're starting paperback uh we're starting out the being the being just trade paperback soft covers if we fund and if we fund and if we fund enough one of our stretch calls is going to be to make it a hardback book oh as 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 the version or as kind of a limited edition option so we're going to offer so here, here's the thing is we're going to offer a hardback cover as limited edition in the campaign outright so if you wanted to pay an extra amount of money and get a hardback copy that's you know nice super awesome you can if we fund enough and go to stretch goal, they're all going to be hardback. And the people who bought the special edition will have, will have an even, it'll be even better. We'll add more stuff to their edition to make it limited edition. But if we fund enough, we'll just make all of them hardcover. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So there'll be, so, so in that case, there'd be two hardcovers. There'd be the regular hardcover. And then it'd be like, not really a variant, but like the Kickstarter special version, which will probably, I don't, I don't have the details of what it would be yet, but it'll probably something like, you know, spot gloss. Um, it'll come um, hand numbered of, an, of a certain number. So there's, if we sell 50 of them, there'll be one of 50. They'll be signed. Um, and I'll probably draw a sketch or something like that to make them special. Awesome. They'll actually be worth less money when you sign them. Probably. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> so where you mentioned that you've already got work going on book two and book three. Yeah. So... Where are you at in the process of each of those? Uh, book two is about about forty to fifty percent done as far as art goes. Um, we have we have eight of the ten stories picked out to be in book two, and of those eight stories, 
Four of them have finished art, and five, and the fifth one is being worked on right now. Um, so I still have to pick two stories for it, and we have to finish out the art and all like the coloring and lettering for the book. Book three, we have one story currently picked out, and, and it is actually done as far as everything. It's it's a ten page story completed, and um, we're starting we're starting to work on what stories we want to put in that book. Book four, we have a plan for, but we're not picking anything for book four until after we just finish out. Um, book two. Once we just once we decide all the scripts for book two and have that one have that one to where it's almost done, then we'll go in and say, okay, what do we have left? What stories do we have left? What do we need to write and create to make book four the best possible ending we can make it? So when you're writing each book, are you considering the next book and already writing that next book at the same time, or are you kind of finishing the storyline for each book individually and then taking that finished product on that storyline? to begin the next storyline. So since, since since these books have multiple writers in them, for each, sto- each short story has a different writer pretty much. Um, and I you know, I wrote several stories and Casey wrote a couple stories throughout each book. But you know, ultimately, each book has, let's say, seven different writers on it or, or eight different writers on it. Uh, the process really has been, I wanted to give the writers of these stories complete freedom to come in and tell the stories they wanted to write within the guidelines that I set out for them. So... What we have is we have a bunch of stories written by writers within the theme of what the book is, dealing with the characters, telling different types of stories. And then the job for Casey and I is, is to take those stories, read through them, figure out where they fit in, in which book theme we want them to make fit, and then use our stories to tie everything together, which sounds like a backwards ass way to do this, but it's actually working out incredibly well. Right. So because nothing seems the, forced the, that way because we don't have stories that are forced to be in continuity. We have stories that are being told and then we just create little snippets of things around those stories to make them fit in to the theme of what we want for that book. And for the first book, it it came out I I'm super proud of how it came out doing it that way and book 2 is looking the same way. With the all of the writers that you're working with, how does that affect the the art, the actual physical format of the pages is this something that you're using different artists as well or are we going to have a consistent look throughout the anthology absolutely not consistent no um and that's on purpose we have if if you look at the art for the first book each story is done in in, in pretty much a completely different style uh we've got people who do ink wash artwork we've got you know professional grade artwork with tones we've got traditional artwork we've got you know very specific types of art. And that was on purpose because what we did with the scripts is we then, once we had the scripts in and we read them and approved them, it's like, oh, these are great. Or you know, I read through them and approved them. I then started pairing up those scripts with artists that I wanted to work with, that I liked their style. And I thought their style will fit this story really well. And it was I, I don't I don't care at all if this if the stories look similar to each other. Even if the even if if like story A is about these two characters and story B is about these two characters. Those two stories don't have to look the same to me. The characters should look similar enough to know who they are, but the stories don't have to be the same artist. And that reason for that is, is because I wanted the stories to reflect that's their spot in time and reflect the tone of what the writer was trying to get through. And I want the art to reflect their spot in time and their spot of what the story is about. Because as time is a real thing in our life, things that happen today are not the same as happened a hundred years ago are not the same perception as a hundred years ago. And I don't look the same as a hundred years ago. So I purposefully have artists that don't look the same throughout the book because they're writing about their drawing and writing about different, different spots in time throughout history. So if they all look the same, well, I mean, that would be for in that that's fine, but having these different artists and these different feels 
pushes more of this fact is this is this all these stories are connected yet they're all different because they're you know one's from 1850 one's from 1950 one's from 1640 you know and they have art to reflect the style what the story is as well as the time from they're in got it so the the art style is indicative of whatever period that particular story happens to be in it's indicative of the, of the the period it's in as well as the tone of the story. So if the tone of the story is set in like the 1800s, but it's like, you know, more of a, more of a, an upbeat type of horror, thorough story where it's, you know, it's not like all, it's not like, you know, psychologically dark, but it's kind of scary a little bit. It's going to be one style, you know, it's kind of, you know, probably a cleaner style, but if it's set in the same exact time period, however, it's a really dark uh, story that deals with a lot of psychological stuff. And it's basically a giant mind fuck. Then it's going to have a, a style of art that reflects that. And that, that, that was the point. I wanted to make sure these were paired up with artists that would reflect the tone of the story as well as the time period. And also doing this allowed me to be in more control of the look of the book, because instead of a normal an- anthology for comics where people submit stories in those, it's like, hey, you're a writer, you're, you're get, a, get a team together, get your, get your story drawn up and submit it. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll put it in if we like it. And that, that way, you know, the, the writer and the creator is it, the writer of the story, you know, has the, the job of going out and finding and paying all the people. This way, it allowed me as the editor and creator of this book and the creative controller of this book to make sure that the feel of each story and the visuals of each story match what I wanted it to be. Even though it was stories I didn't write, I was able to pick the artist and the creative team each by piece to have the end result of the book because the ultimate goal of the book is to make the best book possible. And that involves bringing in people from all, all walks of life and all parts of the world to tell these stories and to pair them up um, with people who wouldn't normally pair up because they would never know each other. Awesome. So when we're talking about horror, you touched on a couple of different kinds. You touched on like maybe a psychological horror or as what you refer to as kind of a mind fuck. Yeah. And the traditional concept of horror goes after either scares or as, you know, blood and guts kind of hack and slash. So what kinds of horror do you think is going to be the most prevalent throughout this book? So it's, it's interesting because we call it a horror book because it deals with supernatural and it deals with monsters and demons and stuff like that. However, we don't rely on hack and slash guts. We don't rely on trying to scare you or trying to like do jump scares and like, oh my God, that monster is so scary. We don't, we don't rely on that. What our stories are basically about is, is, is there about demons, supernatural stuff and shit that is just scary. Like there's a story in this book called the wanderer written by Michael Tanner, John by Clayton Hollyfield. And, um, it's a story that it's horror in nature because of what it deals with, but it's really about a guy who's really fucking evil and just a bastard. <laughs> and it's the kind of, I mean, when I say this, I don't say it lightly. It's the kind of story that when I finished reading the script the first time I was like, Oh, I'm uncomfortable. And you know me, that takes a lot. Um, yeah, right. It's so much that we hired a colorist to come color the story. He read the script and said, I can't do this. Really? Yeah. And because of appropriateness of content or because of what he, because of what the character does in the story. Okay. It's, it's, a, this story is a mind fuck. It's a story that leaves you hating this character. It's a story that leaves you walking away going, how, how do they print this? But it's not a story that's like, grotesque or over the top to be grotesque or over the top. It's a story to set up a character who is an evil, evil bastard and it's all done in proper context and proper and it's done. Well, it just leaves you with the icky taste in your mouth when you're done with it. And it's, it's, it's a beautiful story as far as getting those things across. And it it fits into this book because we, we wanted to put something in this book 
like this that sets you up to say, hey, this kind of nasty, evil shit can definitely happen in this world. So don't get attached. (laughs) (laughs) Don't get attached like your favorite HBO show. Right. So what book does this particular story, The Wanderer, take place? It's It's in book one. It's in the first book. Oh, yeah. Got it. So you're going to get a dose of fucking disturbing reality right out the gate. Like I said, book one, I wanted to buy. We picked stories specifically that set you up for things you can expect in this world and in the future books. Okay. Now you had reached out to me, oh, a couple of weeks ago and said, hey, I'm thinking about doing some kind of promotion with some music and said, hey, can you can you put out the interest out there to see if some people want to contribute? Tell me exactly what that project is, how it relates to the book, and what the music is going to be used for specifically. Sure. So, as you know, and I talked about before, I, I was in bands as a kid um, and in college. I recorded and played shows and loved it. And, <clears throat> excuse me, music's always been a huge part of my life. And one of the things that I think you can do really well with horror and supernatural stuff is pair up songs with stories, right? Because as you're reading something scary or something that makes you go, uh, there's music. And I don't know about you, but whenever I read anything, I have music in my head. It's just the way I am. So, right. And I wanted to do a theme song for this book. I wanted to have some kind of a, a an eighties horror type theme for this book. And, um, I contacted my friend, Joey Edsall, who's also a writer on, he's, he wrote it not in this book, but he has a story in book three, I believe it is. And, um, he, he also composes music. And I was like, Hey, do you want to help me out with this? He's like, yeah, sure. What do you need? So I kind of described what I was looking for and he's like, yeah, sure. So he, he went away for a day or two and came back. And if you watch that video on the press package page, I sent you or any times, like the thing Kenrick voices over for the Einstein anthology, that music in the background, that very eighties horror theme music, uh, he custom wrote for this book. And, um, you know, we got a, a soundtrack, a sound, you know, a, soundtrack, a theme song for the book. And he also wrote another song that's going to be tied to another story. So that got me thinking, hmm, I wonder if I can get a song tied to each story. Now, the song doesn't have to be specifically written for that story. My idea is find songs that re- thematically represent the story, right? Like musically and lyrically and kind of the, the way they build and, and, and go through their song, uh, kind of like fit up with a story because... I, I'm not a big fan of like writing a song that like, Oh, this song is about this story. And it kind of, this song tells the story because it gets kind of cheesy and lame, but sure. Having a song that has the same feeling and the same themes of a story, as far as how it plays out in your head, that's really cool to me. So when I asked you this, you know, I, I got a couple emails from people that used to get my contact to, and I actually worked it out with two of them, um, to, to, uh, uh, allow me to use some of their songs. Um, on the soundtrack and tie them to stories, which is pretty cool. Cause then I, now I've got, as of right now, I've got uh, five different groups or bands or musicians um, contributing songs to this soundtrack. And the idea is I'm going to tie each one to a, a story and then yeah, I'm going to release the soundtrack either digitally, or I might actually like, I might actually get it printed onto like a, onto a CD, like you get it, get it, get it, uh, get it pressed because I found out I can press a hundred copies of a CD on a, in a slipcase for like a hundred bucks, super cheap. Oh. So I might just do that and like send, send them out to the people who contributed and like send them out to like backers and stuff. Um, but that goes into a whole other thing where I've got to make sure that all the bands are okay with me doing that, which so far everybody has yeah, been, but I want legal license. Right. I want to like make that, sure that everything's, so. I don't want to piss anybody off. I don't make sure everybody's on board, you know? And so far everybody is right. Um, Cause I've been very upfront with what I'm doing to everybody I've talked to, you know? 
I'm like, this is what I'm doing. This is my plan. Are you on, are you on board with this? And, you know, and someone like, so far people are like, yeah, that's awesome. You know, which is great. So I, I tied them up to various songs and I was, I'm still working on, I haven't had a lot of time to work on it because this, the soundtrack isn't my, you know, major project right now. My, the book is, but the soundtrack will be done before the book, before the campaign is done. So I've been working solely on getting the, the campaign and the book ready to go for tomorrow. And then once it's launched and I'm not like stressing about everything else, I will then go back to lining songs up with, 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 uh, um, stories and finding and, and finish, finishing out the soundtrack. So would that be something, for instance, that shows up on a YouTube channel as a digital, a digital novel, and then as you're reading the novel, the music is playing in the background? Is that the concept? So what I'm going to do with it is um, that's actually a good a good idea. I didn't think about that, but the what I'm going to do with it is is over on my podcast with Ken Rains, Explore Country, where actually we've recorded and we're working to record little interviews with each creator for each story. Right? right. So doing like a five or 10 minute interview with each person, like the, the inker, the, the writer, the colorist, letterer, everybody, everybody, everybody I can get to agree to it. I'm, I'm recording something with them. And then we're making an episode, uh, a podcast episode for each story. Right. So throughout the month of February, we're going to be releasing um, nine or 10 episodes, one for each story in the book on our split country channel. And in that episode, there's going to be some a little bit of the, of the song that's tied to that story as the intro with some voiceover that Kenrick did of the of the story and then at the end um well in the beginning we're going to mention who the who the, who the song's by and what the song is and then at the end we're going to play the entire song for people who want to hear it and then we're also going to offer all the songs as a digital reward um or not a reward a digital it's not going to be like you buy the the soundtrack. It's going to be a digital incentive. So if, if you buy the book, you know, we're going to give you the soundtrack as well type of thing. Um, and then the soundtrack will have some notes saying, no, these, this, this song is representative of this story. So, you know, play this one while you listen, or you read this story or, or you know, something along those lines. Okay. Awesome. So then what is your Kickstarter goal? Do you have a dollar figure in mind that you need to hit to make this happen? Yeah, I do. So, the Kickstarter goal does not include um, reimbursing myself for all the people I paid for paid already. Um, I'm just eating that cost for myself because again, I just want people to read this book. I want people to love it as much as I do and see how see all the love and care that all the creators put into this book. That's that's my goal. So I'm just kind of trying to fund the printing and the shipping of a thousand copies of the book, and this includes okay. So the the price that I'm looking to raise is forty five hundred dollars, and that covers printing shipping it to me and shipping it to all the backers as well as um, printing up and providing all the other rewards. Like this is, we have, we have a couple of rewards at the $200 range, which is original art. So I actually, I actually okay. physically, I paid the right the artist and then I physically bought the pages from them as an addition to it. So I could offer them at, at in the Kickstarter. So, Oh, that's a unique reward, right? So not only, and some of the art, two of the artists are outside of the country. One of them's in Argentina. One of them's in the Philippines and they've never had their artwork sold in the U S before. So I bought, I, you know, I paid them. I, I said, what do you want for the actual pages? They gave me a price. I said, cool, I'll pay that. Give me the shipping amount, which is insanely expensive to ship from Argentina, by the way. Um, <laughs> eight pages cost over a hundred dollars a ship, but you know, and that's it. Oh my God. <laughs> I can ship that locally for like 20 bucks <laughs> in the U S but so I paid him his page rate he wanted, plus I paid him for the pay, the actual pages and, then he, and the shipping to mail them to me. And this will be the first time these two artists, uh, it's Sebastian Bayano and Dennis Tarona, two amazing artists. They're great in their field. Uh, it's the first time their art's ever going to be offered in the U.S., which is awesome. Oh, wow. That is definitely awesome. So $4,500 goal for the initial press of 
a thousand copies. Yes. Correct. Correct. What's your time frame? I mean, what, have you given yourself a window on on what you need to make this happen? So we're planning to launch it tomorrow on the first, and I'm planning to have it end on March fifth. So it'll end. It'll, wow, that's that's a lofty goal to get it. You know. A month. Yeah, I mean, mo- most Kickstarters will last for thirty days. This one's lasting for thirty-two days, um, only because. <laughs> so I'm using one of the things I'm going to do to like, you know, help incentivize people is you know you have you do like events. So we're going to do a special event on Valentine's Day because it's going to be Valentine's Day, right? We're gonna, we're right. going to do a special event on March first because that's my birthday, and then we're extending it to March fifth and just two to just two more days in a normal campaign because. Casey, my co-editor, that's his birthday. So we're going to end it on his birthday. So we can do our last final push push as like a birthday thing for Casey. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So that'll be, that'll be fun. Well, I'm thinking the concept of your, your story is epic. I love the fact of how it spans generations and ties together seemingly unrelated story arcs that actually are related. And I love the fact that you're, crossing different kinds of art styles with different writers and different artists. It's a, that's a very, very large undertaking. I'm sure the scheduling for that alone has been nightmarish. It's been a trick for sure, but it's been, it actually was easier to schedule that than it was to schedule all of the interviews and crap that I'm doing. Oh yeah. Not crap. Awesome. It's, I love doing them. They're, I do them all day. <laughs> I don't want to say I'm like, Oh, then if you crap, I don't want to do them. I love doing them. It just, it's been, <laughs> I mean, it's been, it's been a trick to make this work where I can do two or three interviews a day and get them done and get them out there without pissing off my wife or my job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, and, and, uh, your wife Kaylee also is a podcaster. So I'm sure that she is very well aware of all of the efforts that it is requiring to make this happen. And I'm sure she's a hundred percent behind you. Oh, she has been so, I, I cannot, I cannot tell you how supportive she's been of this book and of me doing all these interviews back in, um, in the beginning of, of January, I told her, I warned her, I was like, just so you know, the book's going all live on February 1st. And she goes, first she goes, why would you launch a book in February? That's literally our busiest month of the year. And I'm like, because I hate myself, apparently. Because we have birthdays, our anniversary. I mean, just February is a super busy month every year. And I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm a glutton for punishment, apparently. But I told her, I was like, hey, just so you know, I'm going to be doing a lot of interviews because I'm pushing the press on this thing really, really hard. So it sells. And she goes, okay. And then she's been super supportive of of me you know, it being six o'clock, I'm like, all right, babe, I'm going to go hide in the bedroom for an hour and go talk to some people on a podcast. She goes, okay. And she, she's been more supportive than I expected her to be because it's been quite a lot. <laughs> awesome. So why don't you tell everybody where they can find all the links and all the stuff related to your epic Einz anthology that's getting ready to hit Kickstarter? Sure. So you can find it on Twitter at just at Einz Anthology, same as Instagram at Einz Anthology. We post things there all the time. Anything special we do throughout the campaign, just follow the Twitter account. You'll see it there. If you want to go straight to the straight to the campaign, you can go to Einz Anthology. That's E-Y-N-E-S Anthology.com slash Kickstarter. And it will take you right directly to the Kickstarter page. And if you just go to EinzAnthology.com, at the top link, there's a link that says sign up for updates. If you sign up for email updates, you'll get all the email updates throughout the campaign as, as we're going through of any kind of extra rewards we're doing or any kind of contest we're going to do throughout the day because we're going to do some special stuff throughout the month to make everybody have a lot of fun and, and get some cool stuff. Awesome. Uh, Johnny, thanks for joining me again on Misery Point Radio. I definitely appreciate you coming on. And I wish you the best of luck on your Kickstarter. I give you my word. I'm going to be one of your first backers. I'm really looking forward to this. As you know, since I first talked to you about this, I've been very excited about this project. So 
everybody, check out the Ions Anthology, back it on Kickstarter, share it with your friends, share it on the Book of Faces, share it on the Twitter, do everything humanly possible. You've got one month to make this happen, and I'd love to see a very good friend of mine have some success in this very lofty project. So thanks again for hanging out on Misery Point Radio. And Johnny, thank you again, brother. Good luck to you. Thanks so much, man. I appreciate it.